five, four, three, two, one. Hey, everyone. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of the Moon Tea Podcast. We're your co-hosts. Today, we have Nick. What's up, Nick? Hey, everyone. I'm excited <laughs> to be here on the Moon Tea Podcast. I know Hugh talks a lot about it. Yeah. seen a few episodes, especially the ones featuring people from Arizona. But oh, awesome. Thank you for having me here, guys. Yeah, thanks for thanks for coming on. I know it's kind of kind of last minute, and it's like a early Saturday, and he's got he's got something going on with his mom in an hour, but we made it work. Amazing! I just came back from grocery shopping, like made it like right in time. So awesome! You got dinner plans tonight? Uh, I think so. Not explicit, but. I think I will eat dinner. So <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. How about, <laughs> how about you? Oh no, I was just asking because you got groceries. So I'm like, all right, he must be making dinner. For me, dinner plans. I don't think we might we might party. <laughs> sounds like yeah, sounds like we can get a drink or two. Yeah, sounds like a typical <laughs> Saturday night. Ooh. They what have a friend. He, he, Nick has a friend coming in from New York and it's, oh, a, cool. it's a terrible thing. These New Yorkers, they all just want to go out on the town. Oh, hey, that special guest. Here's my dog, Lady. Oh, oh you want attention. Is Lady a, a man or a woman? She's, she's a lady. Oh, a woman. Oh, great. Great. Hey, you never know. I don't want to make assumptions. Yeah. No, you're good. She's named after <laughs> Lady from Lady and the Tramp. Oh, she's a cockapoo. Cockapoo. So cute. Yeah. All right, hit me with questions. <laughs> <laughs> Nick is ready. Uh, I'm ready. All right, wait, wait. First, quick bio. Sure. Who, who okay. are you, Nick? Okay. Hi, everyone. My name is Nick Saravan. I'm from Tepe, Arizona. Is My profes- <laughs> professions as a HR business partner for an ed tech company, but um, with a tons of other hobbies. But yeah, that's a little bit about myself. In the jujitsu world, traveler down to, to frolic on the weekends. Ooh. Really nice guy. One of the most interesting to talk to about investments too. Ooh. And like just all around, just such an intelligent guy. So that's like choice E, some of the above, not all of the above. Dang, e. there's more. Likes to, likes to party on Saturday evenings. No, no, I mean, some of those above were true. Not all of the above were true. <laughs> Maybe I'm over, <laughs> overshooting a bit. No. I don't <laughs> think so. Dude, super cool. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, no, it's actually really fun to hear about Nick's time in HR. First of all, just like mm-hmm. I've never had such a deep understanding of what people really do in HR, HR. And then I hear about the things that Nick has to navigate in regarding social dynamics, especially, and mm-hmm. having to, to think about all the different possibilities with repercussions if they did something incorrectly or correctly, or um, how to do something in a in a HR way that's legally allowed because there's so many legal restrictions. So, so for you, I'm, I'm curious, just what's your bit of your backstory and how you got into HR and then how you became who you are right now. All right. And, and follow so, up question. What is the worst thing that could happen if you do your job badly? Okay. So I'll take a step back. How did, how did I get into HR? So what you all will probably hear a lot about today, if you keep asking, asking questions about like career and success wise like I've been I've had a lot of influence from my brother he's probably like my biggest role model um so for me going through college went to finance I realized I didn't really care too much for finance and then so I was like kind of dicking around for like about a year and then my brother's just like hey you know a quick path to like management is HR and like my HR lady doesn't do anything at work so like this might be a pretty chill job for you. So that's more or less how I got into HR. Um, switched my major, went and and thankfully the university I was going to had an HR major. Hmm. So got into HR, really delved into it, became like the president of like the HR club, as nerdy as that sounds. But Whoa. what was nice about it was our incumbent president had like an internship at a um, Fortune 50 company here. And her manager came to speak at one of our events. He approached me and he was just like, hey, you have an internship this summer? Me being cocky at that time. I was just like, um, I have something lined up, but why are you offering a position? And then he said more or less, yeah. 
So that's how I got my first like really professional HR job. I was working for like a Fortune 50 company, um, aerospace company. And there I really got pushed into the deep end of like the bureaucracy of HR because like I've always read like startup HR books, um, work rules from Google, you know, creativity from like um, Pixar. And then seeing none of that transpire in the Fortune 50 company world, I was like, huh, that, that gave me a little bit different taste, but I got to see the reality of what the job would be. Oh, what, uh, and what is the, the worst thing that could happen if you, if you do a bad job? It really depends on what company you're for. Um, I'm lucky to be in tech now, much like you two. Um, so I'll explain it in like the tech world first. So the worst thing that could happen if you do your job poorly is you'll probably get talked to. Like, unless you really, really screw up your job, companies aren't gonna willy-nilly fire you. Um, just because one, it takes a lot of, lot of time just to backfill. And two, like we wanna give employees the chances to improve, like coming from behind the curtains that like is actually a real thing. Like we're not out to get people. We're more or less out to try to have people improve just because we spent a lot of time on those individuals, training them, developing them, you know, more or less just hiring them and getting them into the company. Amazing. And uh, what, uh, what, what, like, what are you trying to like work for or like work towards in, I don't know, however many years? Okay, let me, let me go back uh, to your initial mm -hmm. question too. So yeah. you don't really get punished unless something becomes a behavior. So I think that that's the one caveat I'll give. If, if you do your job poorly once or twice, that's not a behavior just yet, you'll get addressed. Pretty much what we try not to develop in HR are behaviors and patterns that um, people keep doing their job poorly. But um, in terms of what I'm trying to accomplish, I really enjoy where I work now. Um, my company really cares about just our people, my workload balance is pretty nice. And so I imagining myself staying here for a several years, hopefully, mm. and trying to develop to become a director. And, and I think that that's ultimately where I want to be positioned because I know in the near future, I'll probably have a family and I don't want to invest too many eggs into my career when I love being around kids and I would love to just raise my own family in that sense. Nice. Amazing. Wait, Great. so I'm actually curious. Uh, what's the difference between what does a, a director in HR usually do that you see? And what does like an HR manager do? You're, you're, and you're more of the HR manager, right? Yeah. So <clears throat> right now I'm leveled as a manager. I'm a HR business partner. Second will come the senior role and then director based off of how our career path will look like. Um, so what does a director role do? I, it's what you'll see in HR is it mainly um, it's attributed to the type of clients you support. So like a director will be supporting like a C-suite, whereas I'm supporting VPs. So um, that and a combination of just managing more employees and also just the scope of projects that you'll take on. So for me, my projects are just like I'll, I'll name some like career pathing for employees, reviewing salary structures, seeing like, hey, you know, a VP will come to me, they'll, they'll say, I think my team's being underpaid. Can we check what market rates look like? And then we go in, I work with the comp team, review just, hey, what the team look like compared to market rates and things like that. But directors will be really going into like the big projects of like implementation, new systems, make like, so I think that there's a lot more of that project management component mm -hmm. to it at a larger scope. Do you get a craft culture more, do you think? Like when you, you have those HR culture books at you know, the lady from Netflix or whatnot, and they have to think about how cultural dynamics work with regards to the company and how they treat their employees and all the different um, perks that they give. So I feel like, is that what a director would do? Is that what more like a chief cultural officer would do? Or? Yeah, I think that's our like SVPs and CPOs. Okay. Now that's, but like we'll have weekly meetings where 
what we were trying to develop a career path for HR. So like one of like the little behind the curtain sayings we have in HR is we're really good at having benefits for other teams, but we're usually bad when it comes down to our own team. So for us, like we build out career pathing for other people, but oftentimes we don't really take a step to do ours. So our CPO want to make a initiative to develop a career path for us. So with like initiative like that, she'll get us in a room probably once or twice a month. We'll be working on the project. We'll get feedback from us, see, hey, you know, does this really resonate with your role? And and then we'll slowly just evolve from there. So yes, a lot of CPO work, but then she does get feedback from us just to see, hey, you know, does this pertain to your group, your role, your product line? Got it. Interesting. Hmm. When does it make sense for a, for a company or a team to start building out an HR team? I've, I've, been, I've been at startups with like 30 people and I'm currently at a company with a thousand people. As you can imagine, we have HR now and we did not have HR back then. So like, when do you think it makes sense? I would say as early as probably like 10 to 20 people. I know like um, the HR person is not going to be like the first person hired because you're going to need your devs at like startups. But um, once you start to really get, I would say like 10 employees and know that you're going to be growing, you should probably bring on an HR person just to pave the way and start to plan out what the org structure will start to look like once you get 50, 100 people. Because I'd much rather be proactive than reactive to that kind of stuff. Especially when I know in the tech world, people jump ship a lot. So it's probably better off to develop like, and while like the biggest complaints that we get and that it's pretty much ubiquitous everywhere where once you feel like you don't have room to grow, that's when you feel like you have to start leaving. And by mm-hmm. having an HR person there early, you could start to develop hey you know what do these roles look like and how do people grow and at least give people that understanding that hey you know this is being worked on and this is what it'll look like that makes sense yeah and you want you want at least from like a management perspective as the as a company grows like you want to be like transparent and also like at least make it seem like you have a plan and, and, and like, let, let people know as, as something changes, like, Hey, this is going to happen. These are the policies in place. This is like the new org chart or whatever, instead of like letting people complain or let a bunch of people leave and then kind of react to that. Exactly. Like I would just say the earliest you could start to have paths for people to grow the better. So, I mean, if you could get someone on, once you hit like 15 people and you know that, hey, you know, this is gonna scale to become a lot bigger and we're going to have like a hiring wave of like 10, 15 people, you know, those people will want to grow. Well, they're, they're coming to your company for a reason. One, probably because great benefits to the culture seems pretty gritty still, but at the same time, you want to let people know that there's still more to that. That makes sense. Um, Hugh, you have any more questions about HR work stuff? And I also want to know about the uh, the other the other sides of Nick. I know, do it, go. So, so you're into jujitsu? That's what he mentioned. Yeah, <coughs> well, well, white belt, but yeah. Oh, but that's nice like a very, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, not a jujitsu expert at all, just hobbyist, I would say. Ooh. explain the dynamics of your gym explain explain this is this blew my mind john is really interested in learning and is learning boxing right now and wants to learn jiu-jitsu too and read a book by a gentleman who's a very well-known jiu-jitsu gentleman and which book the art of learning josh Waitskin. okay i mean that he he's he's not primarily known for jiu-jitsu but he he was a he was a chess prodigy turned Tai Chi push hands champion. And he's also a black belt in jujitsu. Yeah. So he's from New York, right? I think he trained at like one of like the prestigious gyms out there. Like I, yeah. I, I'm yeah. somewhat familiar with them. 
yeah he he also started a gym with uh what was that guy's name like marcelo like something he had like a cool name <laughs> yeah i was i was thinking about going to that gym actually it's uh i kind of i like i like how their i like how their structure is where it's like you have these you have like when you first start out you can go to this class and you have to go for three months before you upgrade to the next class mm. and then it's like like you're and you like don't roll the first three months like you're you're like purely learning the basics and like i like i like how that was set up as opposed to as opposed to like oh just you've been to one class like come roll with us on saturdays and then it's like if if you have someone who doesn't know what they're doing that person could like hurt other people or like hurt themselves and uh yeah it's like especially like this is like combat and this is like grappling <laughs> like the point is to the point is to hurt other people so yeah. I, I like i like i like how they had it set up and i'm like thinking about going we'll see deciding between jujitsu and rock climbing but i will not do both <laughs> <laughs> that's funny because you're in between two people right now on both spectrums but um yeah i guess what was the question there or was there a question there uh, about jujitsu i don't know feel free to monologue about okay about the stuff that you're into oh well i guess I'll, I'll just go on about my journey and i totally hear you about getting too intense with rolling and just getting hurt too soon so i think well you have john donahue's gym out there in new york and that's probably like the most prestigious gym um but for jujitsu, I got into it by growing, going to like the Gracie University system. I didn't know that that's what it was called at the time. Just found a Gracie gym, know that they're super, if not the like epicenter family for jujitsu. Um, went to one of their gyms here, one of their certified gyms here. And what was nice about it was it was really just introductory. Like you go in there, they don't expect you to roll afterwards. They don't even expect you to stretch where I went here in Chandler. You go in there, you learn your technique for the hour and that was it. And I was just like, hey, I kind of like the system. Like, and, they, and if you even try to roll, like they discourage you from, you know, trying to roll too early because they know when you roll too early and you get totally destroyed, you're gonna be discouraged from coming back. So mm. with that kind of introductory system, knowing the basics of like what a guard amount is, how to do hip escapes, like these new terminologies and just getting it broken down into like bite-sized pieces. I really enjoyed that because over the past year, I switched gyms um, to mm -hmm. a place called J Pages. And for me, like I looked up, everyone was saying that, hey, you know, this is like the best jujitsu gym in the Valley. And I would go to like the, 10 30 a.m classes and like those would be intense like huge stretching session then you go into your, your drills um the lesson for that day and then afterwards there would be like a 10 minute rolling session and into a workout and i was just like man this is tough and each day i see myself as the worst person there and i i oh like you probably know in the back of your mind like Everyone who talk, talks about jujitsu will tell you you're going to suck for a long time. So you're just going to have to get over it because one day you're going to get good. And then like it, this one really hits you in the face like any other lesson in life where you're going to really put in the time. But having those opportunities to roll, I felt like I was getting so much better than where I used to be at the old school. But I think that that old school gave me the foot into the door, got me used to the terminology because if I were to start at J Page's gym first, I probably wouldn't know what half the things that are going on when he says, hey, let's get into guard, half mount, things like that. Like I would just be lost and probably discouraged. So I totally hear you and I guess whatever advice I would give is, yeah, you know, start small, start with just learning the basic techniques first and then slowly build on that. But don't be afraid to roll with people at your level essentially 
yeah don't yeah just don't go to the gym and like challenge like blue belts and i know you probably won't you you first day let's go <laughs> let's roll now <laughs> it's like yeah you look like a wimp bro i don't think you deserve that belt yeah you want to don't want to trade belts because you don't deserve <laughs> it <laughs> yeah. but but yeah i think the most fun is when you roll with people at your level and then you get to really solve those puzzles when people describe jujitsu as like a rubik's cube cube it really mm. is that sometimes when you're yeah exactly when someone gets you into guard or like gets you into mount you're like what the heck do i do first you know try to not give them too much space to work with and then just slowly work from there and you're you know you're hearing from a total beginner so like and feeling that it's fun and for me like i enjoy I don't mind losing and sometimes I enjoy losing as long as I learn. And also I think that you and I probably know like over the past year during COVID, I just got fat. So like now any sort of like physical activity, like I enjoy it, you know, I like, I'm not there to be like, I'm going to beat this person today. If I get a little bit closer to not having this person get me into Mount, I'm happy because I know I'm burning calories. That makes sense. When you when you switch gyms, do you do you get a new do you start over? Well, I started at the beginning at both gyms, so like I don't well, I had uh, stripes at the other gym. I just took my stripes off just to yeah, pretty much to start start over. But I mean, I think I was just too afraid to ask my um instructor, like, hey, you know, do I deserve these stripes? Like, should I have them on my belt? For me, I just hey, like them you off. don't you don't mind yeah. just just like starting from scratch and exactly huh. because you know I think um, at the end of the day I'm there to learn and yeah. I don't want the belts to get in the way. Like you know, it'd be nice to have a different color belt, but if I can't do still do the basics, like you know, I don't deserve it. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Hugh, Hugh, what else? What else is uh? What else is is uh? Like about about Nick that is like we should we should dive into it. Totally, totally. The one thing before we do though, with regards to the white belt system, it's a ten. So ten years at both gyms, was it? No, no. It was just this gym oh. you're at right now. It's ten years to get to a black belt. It's just a rule of thumb. It's just like usually 10 years. It's just a rule of thumb. So when you're at the other gym and you got like a few stripes, white belt, and you had a certain type of skill, but then you went to this gym and you said, no, I'm starting from scratch and I'm a white belt. This gym you're at does stripes. They do. But they do stripes. And so like when you are rolling with people, something that I've heard, and and I just don't know if I've heard it right, was um, you don't really, it's like an unspoken ranking system where you just kind of start rolling with people around your area. And then you start to see who you can like continually beat and whatnot. And then you start to see your tiers based on that within a white belt. Is that a thing? Or is that like, how, cause you said y- y- there's no set time to go up a belt. It's your, your instructors or watch. And so how does, and when does an instructor say, Hey, Nick, you get a stripe or you can now test for a stripe or a test for a new belt. How does that system work? So at the old gym, things were a lot more um, like regimented. You do X amount of classes, you'll get a stripe. You do Mm. X amount of, you've been in the program for six months. You completed all the classes three times. Now you could qualify to test to go to your like, next bell the gracie system has this thing called the competitive spell it's in between white and blue so you you and your instructor will shoot video and then send it off of like the different techniques you send it off to torrents where their hq is they'll review it then they come back with a pass or a fail essentially so like that that system was very regimented and i kind of like that but because i like just playing in I mean, knowing when I could get, like the side of me that wants a new belt likes that because I'm like, hey, cool, I get a new belt after XYZ classes. But as long as I could show that I'm doing it right, I'll be fine. But here, like they do want to make it a little bit more regimented too. So there's 
um, like tracking tools such as belt trackers where your gym will set up like, hey, you know, go write down which classes you came to. So when it comes down to promotions, the instructor has a better understanding of which classes you went to, how much time you've been putting in. Just because like here, there's three classes a day they're not always going to see you so they much they'll be like having a system where they see how much you've done is very useful to them but um the what was the question just but just like how does the the current gym because i know it's a bit more difficult to get belts or stripes how do you get found out by the instructor or given the opportunity to attempt to get to the next level it's more just showing up like um when i was when i was telling you about like the 1030 class you'll do like situational spars or rolls so like he just says hey you know get on your back other person um start behind them you try to take the back and then like he'll start to see if a white belt starts to taking start taking the back of like blue belts like yeah you could probably compete against them so it's more up to their discretion yeah see that's to me so cool so basically you're fighting up your tier yeah and that's crazy that seems so intense and and it's kind of crazy too because i think about it in like the work space too you two hear about levels room to grow you probably hear things such as managers will say hey you know i want to give this person a level jump um or just like or a big pay raise within that level hr will come back and say hey you know if you give them this big pay bump and but they're still on this level, they might be at the max, and we might not be able to give them too much more room to grow after that. Or if like a direct, or if like someone wants to give their employee a skip level, where like they go from manager to straight to director without and skipping that senior level, sometimes HR will say, "Hey, you know, does this make sense? Um, this might hinder their career growth, where they would have had more time." to boost their salary if they were a senior manager. Um, so sometimes I think about that in the jujitsu world too. Like if you're competing, you don't wanna move belts too quick because when like there's, there's a lot of talk, like when you're competing, you want to keep growing at your belt, even though you could kind of jump, but you want to get those, um, those matches underneath you just so that you have that experience because if you jump too fast even though you're beating people at blue belt at your gym you might get your ass handed to you when you go to a competition so that's why coaches will say hey you know if someone's really doing this competitively they'll hold you back a little bit just so you could grow but if i'll hear instructors talk about like yeah you know if this person's like a lawyer um like and they don't have any desire to compete like for them they could go a little bit faster because all they want to do is pretty much probably get the knowledge and probably just to get move up the belts. Hmm. That makes sense. But hey, lawyers can compete too. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm just talking about like, yeah, people when like, you know, it's not like they're dedicated to it. It's just more, hey, you know, I just want to learn it. So someone like me. So, yeah. yeah, you go to the classes, go to the system for 10 years, but never really go to like the actual competitions. Yeah, I did that in Taekwondo. I never went to the competitions in Taekwondo, but I got my black belt and it's like, uh, I didn't really learn that much, to be honest. So, dang, Hugh, you're a black belt. Yeah, I got it at like 10. <laughs> I was very young. Wow, dude. <laughs> dude, this guy in Taekwondo. This guy kicks a lot, man. Yeah. Collegiate swimmer, black belt, taekwondo. Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where's the, the freshest package. clothes? Yeah. <laughs> got, a, a got, a, got a dev job from his first interview ever. Dude, <laughs> people were like DMing you. Are you? You know, you, you didn't have to go through like, like the, the application process like us plebs. <laughs> yeah that's what i know i mean all right well there's a, there's a lot of applications many times <laughs> on, on, on this episode of the moon Team podcast we have hugh berryman uh, that's good <laughs> but yeah so uh so on to other things I, I think something really cool is hey nick have you ever bought a coin that's in crypto oh yeah um hugh has 
No, I don't, I don't know. I, I bought stuff off of Robinhood, but I don't know if Hugh doesn't really accept that as me buying coin, coins. I'm, what did you get? Um, was it Ethereum and Bitcoin? No, you got, you did not. You got, you got Doge. Oh yeah, I did get Doge. I did, I did get Doge. No, he's totally lying right now. No, I totally forgot about Doge. Doge, The biggest memer. I forgot about Doge. You know, Elon Musk comes up one Sunday on TMZ saying that, hey, Doge could be the currency of the future. I'm like, all right, if Papa Musk says so, (laughs) put in like, you don't need to say money figures on here but yeah yeah, that's good i'll put in a small amount and then it went up and then i was happy (laughs) and then i transferred those funds over to ethereum and bitcoin and then it crashed (laughs) and then i was back to square one (laughs) (laughs) the the shitty thing about that is that you have to pay taxes on it i don't like it unless unless you yeah i mean well, sell, sell the Bitcoin and uh, Ethereum at a loss, and then yeah. you can negate those gains uh, for losses. Yeah. Uh, and then rebuy in. But yeah, if you're interested. But yeah, that's that. I just think it's so funny. So basically, like a lot of our friend group started texting me when the whole Dogecoin and crypto phase was on their bull run. And everyone's like, we're buying into Doge. I'm like, the only coin I don't approve of is Doge. But then I bought some too to just join in the fun. <laughs> and it was very entertaining. <laughs> it was it was very fun. Good good returns for yeah, it's 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 pretty crazy how entertaining <laughs> investing has been for the population, or just pretty much like anyone <laughs> who has access to Robinhood and Elon Musk Twitter. Like never just think about it, never in history has investing seemed this entertaining where you could go just on facebook just see like a tmz post where elon musk is boosting up doge and then like an army of people will go buy in and invest like this is it's really crazy yeah. how how entertaining investing has become. and wall street bets too yeah like <laughs> like it's crazy how much of a meme it is and people do spend their, unfortunately, their hard-earned dollars. Yeah, <laughs> some people make it big, right? And other people yeah. lose ten to fifteen lose. grand if they're a security guard that didn't know what he was buying and bought into AMC or whatever the uh, GameStop. So sad. He bought into like seven or whatever the high four five hundred or something, and then it just went down. And he's like, and I'm like, what did you expect? He bought in at the very very high of like twenty x. <laughs> like. Just thinking about it, I'm just throwing, I'm just shooting out ideas here. But um, like you know, back in the day when you would gamble, you would have to go to the casino, you you get a lot of excitement just like from seeing people roll like you know, crabs, people roll sevens, things like that. But nowadays there's was it headlines and like a story built for like GME, something that you would say can you could call it a gamble. But it, there's a storyline behind this gambling now, and people could easily get into it with as few or as many dollars as they want to, as long as they have like an investment account. Like I don't know, I don't know about you guys, but like it seems pretty. I don't know. The, well, it seems fun. Yeah, it's fun to follow along. It's funny. I don't know if it's healthy, and how many people have gotten hurt by it, but it is entertaining to say the least and i I hope what what people get out of it is that people will learn how to be financially um responsible which might be a super big good that comes out of all this yeah well i guess i'm i guess i'm wondering if if people if people are doing it for entertainment then hopefully they they set aside like an entertainment budget. And then if people are doing it to make money, then they're hopefully, hopefully people do the right amount of research and like know their risk tolerance and all of that. But that's a good one. Yeah. My entertainment budget, that would be a good one. I'm like, what do I want to do? <laughs> how much of my entertainment budget do I want to put into stochastic stocks? And then of those, how many of them do I want to do on the Wall Street bet trends? <laughs> Much, how like, much do I want to put into like imaginary internet money? 
<laughs> also the, the meme version of that imaginary internet money yeah. <laughs> seriously i've saved like it's like just talking um in general it's just like yeah you know due to covid i've saved a few dollars from not going to the movie theaters what's entertaining right now oh doge is entertaining let's put some money in doge let's see where that goes yeah this is a good investment at the time you're a smart guy so i gotta play it yeah it's crazy how much hype i mean it blew my mind how many people were starting to talk about it is actually kind of incredible uh, but do you do you too feel like with the uptick in people knowing about cryptocurrencies people opening up a Robinhood account that people are becoming more financially i guess literate or do you think it's the other way there it's just like oh i got a Robinhood account wolf of wall street now man, I'm going to put a ton of money or whatever money I have into these things. I don't know. I don't know what the numbers are exactly, but like most people don't have 401k accounts. Like most people don't, most people don't have, have like enough money in their checking account for a unexpected, like couple of thousand dollar bill. And so if we're talking about in, in general, like Americans, and yeah i guess i guess i guess even even like the idea of putting a little bit of a way away and like that money could go up and it could go down um is probably like the pre pre uh starting to think about like personal finance and all of that stuff um it's it's hard it's hard to say because there are so many different scenarios and like they basically all exist. Like there are there are people who who like got a loan against their house and then and then like put it all into Bitcoin. There there are people who like cash out their retirement accounts and put it all into some sort of mean stock. Like it, all those scenarios exist, and so it's it's hard to say. Like in general. Hmm. Yeah, those are those situations are pretty nuts i guess i'm on the um train of thought that by giving the people these types of tools and allowing people just to get their hands dirty like losing money is a lesson that people ought to learn the hard way and you know also just risk tolerance too and i feel like as long as you don't go head first like there's a lot of good lessons to be learned and with the accessibility that you have now it's we live in a pretty cool time a lot of Where, a lot of the yeah a lot of those tools that any one of us can can use on Robinhood now like until recently we're not available to to individual investors like it's yeah. like it's so easy to buy an option or like short a stock and yeah, like that's new. And so the, the interesting thing is like in within Wall Street bets, there there's like a small percentage that are that like kind of know what they're talking about. And <laughs> they they have much smaller uh, account balances than institutional investors by like several digits, but but it's like these people are turning like 10 grand into like 500 grand and then just like having having that as their as their like like what what does Warren Buffett call it like a snowball or I forgot what he called it but it's like his his like ammo to or like an elephant gun um but I will say I will say it's a small percentage because in in general in general it's a it's like a giant herd following another giant herd and being like yeah it's going up (laughs) (laughs) i see that yeah i think robin hood i don't think i think that's actually something from a design perspective is interesting how to enter a bit more of the question you've got like trading trading brokerage accounts like schwab and td ameritrade and such and you can do basically everything on those but in robin hood they actually curate the experience that you can't short stocks and because it was one of those that were designed for the masses that you can only buy and, and sell it, you know, 
but you can't short it and or do options, I think. But you can start to like buy up tiered accounts and they have really good onboarding and experiences of educational content from what I found at least compared to any other product that's just in line at the time you need it. And it's really beautifully designed. And I think that's one of the biggest perks for it. And like, I was learning a lot about what leverage was and how that worked. And then they have like the Robinhood gold account and there's interesting things with how that plays out. And now they're going to like APR cards, uh, like mm. debit or credit cards. And I think it's fascinating how that ecosystem is building up, but they also have some constraints. I, one of the negatives that I do not like is the fact that if you do buy crypto on Robinhood, that's why I don't really support people buying crypto on Robinhood, is that you can't actually send that crypto to anybody because that's what the crypto's like utility function that gives it value is is if you own Bitcoin, you should own that Bitcoin on your own wallets and or mm -hmm. be able to transact with it or send it to anyone just for whatever it is. But on Robinhood, they've never allowed for that API to be created or gateway. And so no one can actually take that money out and except for depositing it into their own bank account as fiat and then going out and you get taxed. So I just think it's a bit ethically gray for what they do right now. And I think it's great that they allow people to invest in crypto but it's annoying that it's a security to them and not a utility security which is the the game-changing function of them yeah can you not I, can you not short on Robinhood? you can't not that i know of. i'm pretty sure oh. i've looked that up yeah it's, it would be way too dangerous and um, it's kind of cool to be honest if they don't let you to short just because i know like the classic saying is yeah you know when a stock goes down it hits a floor but if you short a stock your infinite. potential loss, your potential losses could be infinite. That just sounds terrible. Yeah, they. I mean, there was that whole thing where that one kid lost like seven hundred twenty thousand dollars, and they thought. I, I wish I remember if it was actually seven twenty thousand or if they. Um, like it was the, a glitch. They didn't explain to him how it got broken down or something. Like he lost money, lots of money, but um, maybe not as much as he thought it did. And I can't remember those details, so don't quote me, but he committed suicide. So like a lot of stuff like that is very important to curate and think about, especially if you're opening things up to the masses uh, educationally and such. So I think Robin Hood does a great job. And the the whole uh, the Wall Street bets thing that was a big ethically gray, though, <laughs> I don't know what happened. <laughs> um, stopping people from selling. All right. I got a question out of curiosity mm -hmm. for you, too. Um, you two being techies, what is the like technical technological breakthrough that happened like let's say like past 20 years that you feel like led the most that you like most that gets you most excited about or you appreciate most? We can take a second to to think about that. My initial guess for John was the Tesla, but Tesla. I don't know. <laughs> but I, it could be in crypto. What would it be, John? I'm so curious. Uh, well, hopefully if we ask that question in five years, we can say self-driving cars. Mm. But I think, I think just the advent of, of uh, electric cars and the like early stages of autonomy i think are like really cool very impactful it affects transportation it makes transportation a lot more accessible um so yeah i think yeah i think like like there was what was it like whenever henry ford was around like people used to ride horses and it was like you could only go so far and you're and you know there are a lot of limitations and horses are expensive and you have to feed them and and then once once we had like this internal combustion engine and like this black ford car that there was like a lot of pushback where people would be like there aren't enough roads or like where am i going to fill up my gas tank my gas tank um but it was like within within 10 years there's a picture of like New York City and and 
you, you see there's like in one picture there's all these horses and then there's one car and then 10 years later there's all these cars and there's one horse and 10 years is like not that long for something that is like that big of a change and I'm just I'm just looking forward to seeing like um like battery electric cars and then also hopefully autonomy we'll see we'll see how that turns out I think the uh there's like a lot of cool stuff that's happening that hopefully hopefully it's not just Tesla that's doing the really cool stuff I think there there are a lot of companies that are that are working on it and um I'm like basically rooting for all of them because I want to I want to have self-driving Ubers like how cool is that <laughs> that's amazing um so yeah I'll, I'll say that I'll say that for mine do you think in the future people will actually have to own their cars because like right now one of the something that people have been seeing is there's just so much downtime to your car and like the joke is hey I could have my self-driving Tesla go make money on Uber for me as I sleep <clears throat> so like for some reason that's begging question in me like do you really need a car in the future if things become that efficient where you know it makes more sense for you just to and we get prices well I guess the caveat is if we get prices down but just the question is just do you think personally people will need to own cars in the future so uh there's a there's an author named tony seba toby 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 seba who writes about this and he i think he was the first one to like come up with this idea of like transportation as a service and the, the thinking the thinking behind it is that is that when you own a car you drive it maybe five to ten percent of the time you pay for parking you pay for insurance you get speeding tickets uh like you have to maintain it you have to take it to the mechanic like all these annoying things um and then the idea behind transportation as a service is like maybe you just like maybe you just like like you don't you don't own the car but then like people don't own cars and but you also don't have to deal with all that stuff and then maybe you're just spending like two hundred dollars a month and then you can like go anywhere and you know you have you have like when you're in the car it's like you're totally freed up to to like do whatever you want like I hopefully hopefully in my lifetime I see it but then like I I envision this future where where we have like like people don't own cars anymore like maybe the maybe the boomers are are still driving around but but like you know it becomes it, it becomes too dangerous to drive a car and like not only do we have these like self-driving ubers but then we'll have like a we'll have like a maybe like a haircut car where it's like oh I need a haircut I'm going somewhere in 30 mm. minutes and then someone cuts your hair like in the maybe that's not the best idea because the car will be moving around but then or maybe it's like oh I need like a I need like to do a quick workout so I'll do like a peloton car so that while that the, while cool. the car is driving so it's like you can you can like curate the experience that you want while you're in there and uh yeah I think I think that would be like so cool like I think I think that would be so so cool uh and yeah, hopefully, hopefully we get there and hopefully I see it in my lifetime. Um, yeah, but we'll, we'll, we'll start with, uh, we'll, we'll start with, uh, Tezos autopilot, not sucking. <laughs> That'd be really cool. Yeah. It's I wonder like, how people okay. are going to flex once, if you don't have cars, I know cars are big flex and like in my mind, like, yeah, it'd be nice if everyone just had like cars as a service so that I don't have to care about what the next car I'm going to buy is and weigh in how cool it looks because I feel like that's a considerate consideration for me at least but like in the future if people just shared cars I'm like huh wonder how people uh, where that time will go to find something else to flex on yeah and then there there are people that are like but I would never give up my car. I love like the loud engine or I, I love 
just driving on a on like a windy road and like people are just like yeah go ahead and go ahead and drive like people still have horses (laughs) (laughs) feel free go drive your car that's true i'm like it'd be like in my mind i'm like hey what if you just had an autonomous like where you're in the city you know it's autonomous but like but like outside you know you can still drive your car because having a self-drive like you driving your own car when everyone else is automated really i feel like hinders the capability of automation because if all cars are automated you probably don't need stop signs anymore where or stop lights where you know you just go based off of just the timing and opportunity but like if you have a human behind in that equation it stops all of that from happening yeah i think i think we'll i don't i don't see us getting rid of stop signs like maybe in our (laughs) lifetime because well also you have to think about let's say let's say we have a perfectly autonomous car and and we're able to have it today we still have to wait 20 years before someone else who got their car today and like that car not being used anymore so it's like it doesn't matter like and that's we're not even there yet like you could have the most techno like the most amazing autonomous car you still have to wait 20 years before there are not that many other cars or like yeah. not autonomous cars i feel like honda and toyota are doing that as a disservice with you and i we were just talking about how my car has lasted for like the last 15 years and probably has another <laughs> 15 years in its lifetime I'm like huh like for me i'm not gonna i'm gonna keep driving until it runs into the ground but i'm like man toyota and honda i wonder how much of them making such reliable cars today that are not autonomous yet will play into the greater equation of when we can actually (laughs) go fully autonomous well for now they're they're great cars and so it's glad glad they're glad they're around um we'll see we'll see how how good they are with battery electric because it seems like they're pretty they're lagging pretty badly with with that but whatever um I want to I want to see Hugh's answer to that to that question that you asked of what's the best technological innovation in the past ten years like 20. just recent let's say like modern history like our history so two thousand onwards two thousand ten onwards the, the 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 scope of this is very little. Just, well, I just think the cell phone is is a game changer for one thing two thousand eight the iPhone at least and then from there. Uh, I, I one day would be interested in autonomous vehicles if I can like literally go to sleep in it and wake up at the beach in San Diego, game changer. And then I, I really do believe that if we can, I'm just, I genuinely am excited for like future financial tech products mm-hmm. that you could spin up in an instant between friends and have like a shared, ba- it's just the basic ledger without any real money transfer, but it's in a smart contract. And then you can like do bets you can like mm. just have it be off of oh nick said he can do 10 pull-ups i bet he can't <laughs> and then it's like done let's lock it in locked <laughs> in now go challenge you you verify it and it'll get distributed to me when you do nine <laughs> it feels like you make a lot of these like it sounds like i, I don't know if i could confirm but you made a lot of small bets with people who didn't pay up. It sounds like you wanted this technology to, 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 so that these people will be held accountable. <laughs> this is true. It's almost like you did this uh, push-up competition thing that, and, and you dropped out. And, You're right. or like, and what or was like, the bet that you or, owe or, me? Or like, it should have been. <laughs> or like John Gonzalez oh, dancing. I, oh, just like John needing You're to right. dance. It this seems is- like people it's just an app or just some sort of tool that holds people accountable right i'm the one that i i did the stand-up you're right <laughs> like this is uh we have a fantasy football oh, what do i owe you owe yeah i, thought, no, I, I don't think i think you out. you dropped dropped out yeah i just yeah, dropped yeah, out yeah, yeah, yeah you got a free card next time i won't be so nice <laughs> um yeah we we play some fantasy football in our group around hmm. here and then every year there's a major repercussion for the last place person and uh-huh. all right so she, the first year we played he got last place but 
the worst part about it is he had Christian McCaffrey, who was the greatest single player in fantasy football for that year <laughs> and still managed to get last place. Like, it blew my mind. Wow. I was trying. It blew my mind. Like, it was nuts how that <laughs> happened. And, <laughs> like, and then we're just like, I don't know what to tell you, dude. You so all, all of his other picks just sucked. I guess so. Just unfortunate weeks. He probably went up against someone who went who popped off that week and still managed to get the loss. I got to feel bad for you. He I did feel bad for myself. He did five minutes of stand up. Terrible. Yeah, he t- he he got what he oh, deserved wow. and he took it as yeah. It's actually a, a really 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 difficult losing thing that like a challenge or whatever. I forgot what this is <laughs> gonna be. Yeah. And it was at like an open bar. They had this open mic night. There. They told me the <laughs> night before, the day before. I was like, <laughs> yeah, we invited um, a girl he was seeing for like, like recently. So that was probably a good introduction. That was actually, her. she she really liked that. That's cool. That was a, it was a fun intro actually, but that was very scary. <laughs> it was fun. Yeah, it was, it was a good time. Did you record it? I want to see. Yeah, I have it. <laughs> I'll, I'll share it. Can you, can you, uh, can you just, can you just, play it right now on the podcast <laughs> <laughs> we'll see we'll see if it buffers that fast oh thank god right. but yeah no oh, uh, i think i guess we have five minutes left before he's hard oh, cut wow, off time um, flies oh man yeah if five um, minutes or he's stand up oh my <laughs> god oh yeah perfect right yeah perfect time slot all right five minutes it's <laughs> playing now no, just kidding, no. all right so we got through some hr stuff we got through some tech advances stuff anything a little bit of jujitsu anything else that we want to cover oh no uh any any uh comments. words of wisdom or or any uh parting thoughts that you want to you want to impart to our listeners for me like i would just say enjoy your life like wow like um come coming on the back end of things i see a lot of people stressing out at work breaking their backs and just like hearing the back end like yeah please do that but at the same time you utilize your benefits it's something i would say from hr because like i'm always telling people like yo you have upto yeah like you've had an incredibly difficult month so like i i encourage people to take their time and like these benefits are there, I I would say most companies aren't doing that to just showboat, and they don't mean what they say. Like if a company actually writes something down as a value, gives you something as a benefit, she use it. Like because at the end of the day, like I think I fell into that category too. Of like my manager's like, hey, you haven't taken much time. And I was like, no, I'm gonna save up some time. I'm gonna t- go to Thailand. She's just like, yeah, you know, that's in the future. I need you to take time now. I'm like oh this is pretty Dang. nice so like i would just say enjoy your life utilize your benefits um remember stress comes at a cost and that, that cost means that your life expect- expectancy falls down over time so you know enjoy your life you heard it here first you heard it here first <laughs> i love it yeah no i feel like we could talk for a lot longer on a lot more things even investment stuff but sadly Due to my schedule today, we'll have to cut it early, but hopefully we'll have you on in the future again. Yeah. Oh, so oh, so yeah. freaking awesome to have you on, oh, man. Yeah. Two, yeah, thanks for coming on. <laughs> Yo, if we ever interview, if Hugh ever gets a featured episode, can I be the co-host? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why not? <laughs> I, I want to be the person who goes, welcome to the Moon Tea Podcast. <laughs> you, you can yeah, you I mean, can do our outro. <laughs> That's you can uh, you can you do our see. intro and our outro for, for the next episode. Doesn't matter. We just I'll do we it just like make... a announcement. <laughs> Standing <laughs> here. <laughs> ah! No. <laughs> the moment we've been waiting for. Fighting out of the flu corner. Oh, Hugh, the Hoppa Berry Man. <laughs> Well, this will be a future episode. I hope not. Okay. Anyways, <laughs> so with that, let's uh, let's say how much we've enjoyed the time we've had with you, Senor Nick Servan. Awesome. This is another episode of the Moon Tea Podcast, where we talk about craft, community, and building meaningful careers, and learning how to tut above our heads. 
And so this is going to be here this uh, coming week. Yeah, you want to flex out? All right. That's the end. You heard it here first. Fight. 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 F